Back in 1999, I, uh, it was the last time I spoke on Revelation in church. So, there you have it. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful for your revelations to us. Your revelation to the Apostle John. I trust we can get a blessing from it, an understanding of ourselves on what we're about. In your son's name, amen. Well, tragically, it's not the part of Revelation that you would be interested in. No beasts, no mark of beasts, um, no, no arguments of that sort uh, in this. This is chapters 4 and 5 of the book, of the Apocalypse, and uh, a, a scene-setting thing. It's the throne room or the heavenly uh, temple image that comes in and establishes the, the vision. Um, speak of the end. One time when I was speaking on the end of the world in California in the Laguna Mountains for a retreat, I was speaking of my view that it wasn't going to be that soon. And uh, the passage we were on was as lightning flashes from the east to the west. And as I said it, lightning flashed from the east to the west across the top of the outdoor um, retreat. We fled, calling for the mountains to fall on us. I spent the night sleeping on a garage floor in Hakamba, uh, Southern California. It's trapped because I was on a motorcycle. So I have, I, that's why I don't teach out of Revelations. I mean, I, one time I did it at uh, uh, CEF, my Faith Fellowship years ago, said the same thing. I don't think it's going to happen for maybe another 10,000 years. That afternoon, Mount St. Helens went off. The, the sky turned dark, ashes started falling in Moscow, and I got phone calls. So, now, it wasn't the end of the world. You, you may know, note that. But God, I think, has a sense of humor when it comes to my preaching out of Revelations. So I'm hoping that merely staying in chapter 4 and 5, where there's none of that, you know. Because he always likes to poke me in the eye. But I was thinking about this. I was talking to the, uh, to the old man uh, yesterday. I was, had the duty to get him up and ready for his day. And so, after drones, I trotted dutifully over to the to the palace and uh, sat with him on the back porch in the sun and we chatted about, you know, things that two Anabaptist pastors will talk about. Um, you know, generally bemoaning the spiritual state of the age and um, how pretty much everybody has it all wrong. And we were just having this moment, father, son, the rest of the world is wrong, heaven and dad are fine. But, um, he commented on something that, you know, we're, you know, what, what really bugs you about the church today, you know? One of the things that bugs my father is worship. People are talking about it, people think they're doing it, people think they, that what you were doing earlier, singing hymns, was worship, or that was the worship service. Uh, did you have a worship experience? Everybody's worship this, worship that. You have albums come out, you know, with the name worship in it. Okay, just... He doesn't see any common thread between what we do on a Sunday, as he's told somebody who asked him 
how did he function in worship? And dad said, I don't ever go to church to worship. That's not what church is for. Church, you can't worship in church, of all things. And so I was thinking about that. I'm not going to give you his view. But I was thinking about it, and I was looking at the worship in Revelation 4 and 5, which is this throne room situation, temple situation. And as I was reading through it, going, okay, what about this is standing out? Some other passages, which I have here on the side, Romans 1 and Colossians 1, came to mind. So what we're trying to do this morning is is encourage each of you to place your Christian life on the kind of footing that your faith will be unassailable and your worship will be real. We are religious people, so we do worship. What is the nature of our worship? What is the nature of our faith? I said a few weeks ago that faith is not a faith juice. You don't go around looking for faith juice or God to give you faith stuff, whatever faith stuff is. Or you don't get into, uh, you should not get into apologetic discussions with other believers trying to strengthen your faith as if it were the th- a thing that had substantial being. Because it's not mysterious at all. You do it all the time. And faith just happens along whatever line you seek and you see. Whatever line you seek and see, whatever thing you give yourself to, either unconsciously or consciously, faith is just sort of an automatic because you're seeking for finding an authority under which you will live. Whether it's natural authority, I mentioned gravity sticking to the ground. None of you have any problem with that, looks like. Everybody's sitting with a certain insouciance in their pew as if they won't fly out any moment. And there's no belts holding you in, right? There's no... So really, when we talk about faith, faith that saves you, faith that changes your life, faith that moves mountains, it's not a matter of the stuff. We get sidetracked by looking for the stuff. Same with worship. You get sidetracked looking for this, this, this deed you can call worship, that somehow worship will be will be done and whatever the promises to the worshiping would be given. Really it's a matter of who did you seek and who did you see. Because that's what seems to happen in the situations of worship in the scripture. I mean real real worship. Revelation 4 says after this I looked And lo, in heaven an open door, and the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up hither, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and lo, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there appeared like Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that looked like an emerald. Round the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clad in white garments with golden crowns upon their heads. From the throne 
issue flashes of lightning and voices and peals of thunder, and before the throne burn seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there is, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, and round the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all round and within, and day and night they never cease to sing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, singing, Worthy art thou, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things, and by thy will they exist and were created. That's the whole chapter 4. What a build up to worship. You saw a throne, and on the throne sat God. And before the throne, his seven spirits as torches, 24 elders, four probably cherubim, similar to the ones in Ezekiel. The cherubim are singing, Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. And all the elders, throwing their crowns, their rule, everything that they are, they have been seated before the living God. Whoever the 24 elders are, or whatever the 24 elders represent, make up your own stuff, read a book, look at a chart, Find out who it is. Might be you. But whenever you get to that place, or whoever got to that place, they are so lifted up. They are so great in of themselves. They have thrones themselves, crowns themselves, and no matter what lordship they are given, in worship they throw it at the feet of God. Because worthy is he to receive glory, honor, and power. Because he created all things. Now I say this, it's a wonderful passage, it's one of the reasons I read through it, and we're not trying to parse it out. Uh, only th- parsing I will give is, remember that song where it says, um, around the glassy sea, or Lord God Almighty. And somebody changed it to glassy because that sounded a, rather than crystal sea. Well this is the crystal sea passage. It's not the ocean. It's not an ocean sea. It's a basin. That's, that was the bronze sea in the Temple of Solomon, held up by the 12 oxen. It's called a sea because it's a very big basin. And this was a crystal one in the heavenly image uh, of the tabernacle in glory. Okay? That's just a side thing. But I don't want you to get just distracted by that uh, sea. I want you to think of what... They're seeing. What is John seeing? What are the cherubim seeing? What are the elders seeing? Because they worship, you might say, perfectly. 
This is the throne room of God. Even if you say, well, I think it's kind of a visionary thing. Well, okay, but the vision, the metaphor, whatever it's trying to tell you, whatever this structure, this imaging is supposed to convey to you, it's going to convey in keeping with what you feel and see in this situation. Because they never cease to sing. It's like the seraphim back in Isaiah 6. They sing a holy, holy, holy. It's the only time the seraphim are mentioned in the Bible. And uh, um, they're singing something similar about God, the Lord God of hosts, I think, rather than the Lord God Almighty. Now, I, 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 I push that out there, read to you. I'd like you to read it again sometime in the near future. Because what I'm saying to you about faith, and what I would also like to include about worship, all involves what you've seen and what you sought thereby. Look what they give to him. The living creatures give glory honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne. Glory, honor, and thanks. Well, that's why I have Romans 1.19 right there on the side. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Our whole faith is about the declaration of God to man in his son Jesus Christ and our having encountered that somewhere. Someone preached it. And somewhere you heard about it, that somehow some Jewish carpenter 2,000 years ago got crucified by the Romans and somehow that's supposed to do something for you. <laughs> You're such silly people. Really, my gosh, what a myth. What a, what a fabulous tale. Or it's true. Queer thing, it seems to have actually happened. Now, What we want to do is we want to find ourselves seeing God in such a way that like the living creatures and like the 24 elders, our crowns in our life get thrown at his feet and we give glory, honor, and thanks to him. Because worthy is he, because he has made the world. That's what your faith is going to sit right there. It's not about your faith. Your faith is automatic when you see something like that. You see the Lord. You see the Lord high and lifted up. What does the prophet say? And his train filled the temple. Why are these monsters standing around? What's with the 24? What's with the throne? My gosh, that's kind of dated. That's kind of archaic. Thrones? I feel a little nervous with those. I grew up in churches where they were like big thrones. And the pastor and the associate pastor and the singer. Other churches, real churches, have guys who lead the singing. The pastor doesn't have to do it. But I feel I was just a little nervous about that. I don't quite fit. I want you to know that. I, I have to slide into it um, with some Vaseline on the sides of... So 
So I'm a little nervous about that kind of thing. But that's the image. Whether you think it's a visionary image, a symbol, or an actual, our God is sought and met and seen. And when God isn't seen, Romans 1, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them ever since the creation of the world. His invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. Worthy art thou, our Lord God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for thou didst create all things, and by thy will they existed and were created. Isn't that what the elders say? And every one of us walked through that world. And this time of year, because it's my birthday and it's God's season and God's month next month and all sorts of things. It'll be glorious. You'll be walking through fall streets and the leaves will be turning and uh, you'll have these uh, moments of beauty, moments of artistic responsiveness. That's not quite enough. But you see, your God, his invisible nature, his eternal power, and his deity are clearly perceived in the things that have been made. Because your faith waits for you to look at God. Your faith does not wait for you to look at faith or the arguments. Clearly perceived. This is self-evident, folks. So they're without excuse. For although they knew God, and we're, we're really blameworthy in a sense, when we struggle with faith, because I don't know if I could believe, I kind of feel heroic for doubting a little bit, because, you know, doubting people are interesting. It is commonplace. They're just people who haven't seen the Lord, haven't sought the Lord. Everybody does this. They knew God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Look at what the cherubim are doing. Look at what the 24 elders are doing. Glory, honor, and thanks. That's where you can begin. You've got a world you walk through that you are living a miracle every second in what's going on in you physically. I told you before that my sister-in-law's brother is a doctor, cardiac, uh, pediatric, pediatric cardiologist. His basic argument against Christianity was that liver was so complicated that even God couldn't, couldn't make it. Okay, well... Sometimes you just find yourself staring blankly at the amazing thing. You could go down to the smallest portion of reality into the largest portions. They were showing a picture on the internet of all the galaxies and stars in one section of the sky, and they're billions. The Lord of hosts. That's the host. We're walking through a miracle. They did not honor him or give him thanks. Begin there. See the portion of God you see and honor him and thank him. 
Honor him and thank him. Look for him more. Recognize that every time you start to, say, toy with the idea of theistic evolution or or some God, you know, that somehow God doesn't need to be creator, realize that you're dragging out from under you the claim that God made about Jesus Christ and what he made about the world. You're denying him this praise for that he did create all things. And they exist because he willed it. When people do not honor him or give thanks, but they become futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened. It's one of the, it's not the only path to a doubt. A, a, a someone can have a question that's well, an honest question, but an awful lot, and I've been in the ministry for a lot of years, an awful lot of doubting is merely the icing on sin. You've got to somehow make that God just a little bit less present. The faith in him that comes from seeing him a little less changing of you. When you have faith, remember faith without works is dead, the more I see God, the more the faith is real, the more active my Christian life is. And the obverse is true. Is as true. That if I do not honor him or give him thanks, I get given up to the futility of my minds. My senseless minds are darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the mortal man, and exchanged, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images represent, resembling mortal man, or birds, or animals, or reptiles. <laughs> Instead of throwing their own crown of their own life and their own lordship and their own greatness at the feet of God, they started to design a God. They wouldn't have to throw their crown down to. They wouldn't have to give up so much. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, in the lusts of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped, worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Not only does our faith come for what we see and what we seek, we see a lot of things, but they don't seem important enough for us to need to know more about it, so we don't seek it. We see, we see something, then we seek after those things that we value. And as we seek the created thing rather than the creator, we find ourselves at the end of that immoral, foolish, and bowing down to a hunk of stone that looks like a bird. We end up worshiping, serving, honoring, and thanking the God we find. And sometimes that's what confuses a lot of Christians. Well, I don't know. The pagans seem to be very sincere about their, about their worship. They're very sincere. Yes, they are. They haven't sought the true God. And we think we just have to measure faith. Well, as long as you have faith. No. As long as you have God. That one. Not a God, this God. Did we do that? I mean, to whatever extent. In order, perhaps because you knew faith was the answer. Right? Is that a hymn? Faith is... Faith is the victory. Thank you. Faith is the victory. There you go. Got to get more faith. 
wouldn't it? It'd be a lot easier. And this is you run across this on blogs all over the internet because that's what the internet's for. Um, a bunch of people who have a hard time believing in the God they encountered in the Bible have decided to make one that they'll have an easier time having faith in. Just like the pagans who chiseled a bird out of stone, they will make a God they can believe in. Well, you ever hear the phrase, oh, I could never believe in a God who... <laughs> who cares? <laughs> you know, gods aren't, you know, turning their resumes in. You know, that, well, here's my curriculum, my CV. I made the universe. Thank you. You have any job openings? You don't get to make, well, you do make one you like, but you're an idiot. You do make one you like, and you do have faith in it, and you do worship it, because finally, dear Jesus, you have made one that really inspires you. And pretty soon you have gay bishops. Okay? Just telling you. We should not attempt to make a god. It kind of takes away from the idea of that. That's why the, the prophet Isaiah gets to tease the idolater so much. You cut one half of your log into a god and you bow down to it, and the other half you cut up for firewood and warm yourself with. And you don't even think that there's a problem here. We don't get to design him. He is standing in his universe, above his universe, waiting to be sought, waiting to be pleased, ready to forgive, loving. And we, a little afraid, perhaps, of finding this God and what will happen to us. It's like... In the, in the feelings of man I, I don't mean, maybe some of you guys Lord of the Rings people but I believe there was a ring in Lord of the Rings is that, is that correct? and it says one ring to rule them all, something along those lines in scribbles on the inside and bad things happen to people who wore it, that's what we view Jesus as you know, if I put that on man I'm going to get twisted yeah, you, you will be out of darkness into his marvelous light. But yet, all those comfortable things, again, you want that throne. You don't have a big, you don't have a big throne. It's like Evan's throne. You don't have a big crown. It's a small crown. It's kind of like one of those yeah, rhinestone things girls put on when they're playing princess growing up. Because you all did. You know you did. And the girlfriend you had that had the little you know, crown. And even in the grown-up pageants, they put those on. And they walk around the stage like they ruled something. I'm the prettiest girl in Iowa. No offense. It could be any state in the union. We have these little crowns. We don't want to give them up. We don't want to take them off. You run into a real God, and you like to claim, well, I just don't know if I believe. Well, because you did not Lift up the curtain, did not go looking for him. You're not standing in the throne room of God like John is. And I'm not saying that you're all sort of idolaters, or any of you are. You might be all be just sweet, dear Christians. 
Um, but everybody likes to hear a sermon that's kind of got that punch to it that somebody here is getting convicted. Not me, but somebody. I sure hope so-and-so is listening to this. So you might not be the kind of person that is like some liberal who just goes, I don't like the way Christianity has designed God. I don't believe a God would be the God who would ever do this, even though it said he did it, but I'm, I'm sorry, I just can't believe in that God. So we go, we go, ah, liberals, go figure. But some of us were raised in Christian homes, and we, orthodox, biblical Christian homes, and some of us were raised in orthodox, biblical Christian churches in an orthodox, biblical USA. And we have a God that was issued to us in that circumstance. He's a Republican and uh, probably a Southern Baptist. I'm just saying. I know this God. Been around him most of my life. And so what do we do? It's not that we're liberals. We're not changing something out. We take the God we were issued. We think we have to be loyal to him. That's, we say, okay, there is the God. He is a stock piece. He is a part of the set. And I go, I go look at him and I go, okay, my job is to have faith in him. I, I don't even question whether I've seen the God or not. It's the, the God that was just told to me. It may have been right, may have been wrong, may have been partially right, partially wrong. Whatever the case, I didn't see a God. I saw what was handed to me by tradition, by others. And I felt that my job not, was not to see him and believe, but to work up belief in this God that I have an issue. And so we start to have worship services. And I don't care how you design them. we got a great worship team here. Evan and Leslie. Leslie can play just about any hymn. So you can add those little extra Baptisty things in there in the middle of the hymn. Make you feel like your soul's on fire. So, no, never happened here. Whatever the case, people do this. I mean, that's what they get up in the morning. That's their job, is to figure out a way to make everybody feel worshipful about the God they were issued. Boy, faith and worship both get taken care of by meeting God. Not being introduced to the tradition, even if it was faithfully kept. Not being regular at services. Finding a good biblical orthodox church. All those things are good, but they're not your faith. They're not your worship. Chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I wept much that no one was found worthy to open the scroll, or to, why does it say, or to, into, into it. I just copied this off the internet, so. Then one of the elders said to me, Weep not, 
Lo, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And I went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Or he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and with golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the scroll and to open its seals, for thou wast slain, and by thy blood did ransom men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and hast made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. So the same people who had just praised God, the cherubim and the elders, the four living creatures and the 24 elders now say worthy is the lamb. And the lamb has the seven spirits of God were the torches in front of the throne. And now the seven horns on the lamb are the seven spirits of God sent out into the world. Do what you want with those images. We're not here to create a chart or draw a picture. God is called worthy, for he does create all things. To receive glory, honor, and thanks. The lamb is worthy because he was slain for the ransom of all men. So that's what, part of what you're looking at here. Not only when you walk out into this fall, almost a fall day, Wednesday or Tuesday is the first day of fall, and I wore the tweed a little early, but I was sick and tired of that light summer jacket. It's falling, it'll be beautiful, and you say, this is the handiwork of my God. It's where you can perceive God. But here, in the throne room of God, where we've seen God on the throne, and everyone worshiping the God on the throne, We've got this addition, the Lamb. Because we don't want to just see, we want to see all there is that man can see of God. We, no man has seen his face and lived. But the only Son sent from the Father, if you have seen him, you have seen the Father. It says in Hebrews 2.9, but we see Jesus. Our Lord is wonderfully ignored. He's great in some pictures, but wonderfully ignored. He has said many things. He has done many things. His crucifixion, his resurrection, we all know that. We know very little else about. We haven't sought. We haven't seen Jesus. The way Jesus is. Not the way some liberal or some conservative would like you to see Jesus, but how Jesus is. Jesus was Jesus before there were liberals or conservatives. What's he like? He is slain. He's worthy because of that. 
I have as a secondary passage Colossians 1. Wonderful passage. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You ought to have your crown already in hand, ready to throw it. When men see this, when you recognize this Lord, when you realize he's real, not just the Bible story, when you begin to suspect this is not just our story versus the Buddhist story or the Hindu story, this is the cosmos. This is what everything exists in light of. Like you view gravity, when you see that, your crown will be in your hand. Your honor, your thanks that protects you, that lifts you up, that saves you because it's your faith. And it becomes your worship. We don't come here to do worship. Too often, we play at faith and we play at worship. That's what play religion is all about creating in you. The right kind of service where you will feel either sufficiently religious how you define religious to be. Not your reaction to the Spirit of God. Your reaction to the living God. I looked and heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads. A myriad is 10,000. So 10,000s of 10,000s and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. I should get an image here. The four living creatures earlier praised God. Then the 24 elders threw their crowns and praised God. And then the Lamb, the four living creatures, and the 24 elders praised him. And then the heavenly host says with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. This is a big deal. Big moment. It's not as fun as the beast and the dragon and all the other things you can read in Revelation. The plagues, the bowls. It's like a set, it's, it's a setup thing, but everything in heaven is singing this. And then, verse 13, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all therein 
ten thousands of ten thousands of angels. And every living creature, wherever you can find it, saying to him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. That's worship. You have got to be seeing the Lord. It is something that you have or haven't got to in your seeking. Not seeing the Lord like you're having some sort of ecstatic vision, you know, that kind of thing. But have you sought him? This, we see Jesus. Have you sought Jesus Christ? Have you said as you got closer and closer to Jesus Christ, Lord, I'm dropping every, every element of crowns I claimed in my life. Even crowns I held as legitimate. They weren't sinful crowns. They were just me in charge. And you put me in charge of my life, but my crown is at your feet. Not because I'm giving up what you told me to rule, say if you're a father or a husband or something like that. But you're putting your hand under his foot. He's Lord. The way he is. Have you sought who he is? What have you seen when you've sought him? Have you spent time in the Gospels? Looking at who Jesus Christ is. What was he prophesied to be? He is the son of the living God who was represented all through the Old Testament. Who is that God? Because your worship, what does it say in Romans 12, 1 and 2? It is your spiritual worship to sacrifice, a living sacrifice, your body, holy and blameless. This is you divesting yourself of your claims. You're not, you have got a faith in you. I realize that. I, I admire you myself. We're trying to be Christians. We're looking at Christ and looking at faith and looking at worship. And we don't want to be the kind of people who clasp our pudgy hands together and sway back and forth and one hand in the air, one hand not in the air. Doesn't matter. Standing up, sitting down, genuflecting. I don't care what it is. If you're going to go play religion, play religion. But if you want to be a Christian, you seek God. Because that worship and that faith makes you sing all the time. You don't wrestle for the crown in your life because you have seen the Lord of hosts high and lifted up. And the living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are before you needing to seek out you, your son, so that our hearts want to sing constantly, worthy is the lamb, or holy, holy, holy to you. Train us to look for you in everything we see, in the natural world outside, Lord, in the revelation of your word through your apostles and prophets, through understanding whatever it is, Lord, that we would be seeking you to be in your presence and in your son's presence as you and he are.
thank you for the opportunity. In your son's name, amen.